the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Robert Rector is with a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Now, Robert, as we define poverty, how much of this is all relative? I asked that question. We had a listener call in a moment ago, didn't want to be on the air, but said, you know, I consider myself at the poverty level, and I don't have all those things. I don't have a widescreen TV set. I don't have broadband Internet access at home. How can we say that people who are defined as under the poverty level in America have all those things? I don't. Well, the fact is, when you ask the public, Rasmussen just did a poll a few weeks ago, and he asked a very simple question. He said, look, if a person has adequate food for their family and has a reasonable place, apartment or home to live in that's in reasonable condition, would you consider that person to be poor? And by a ratio of about six to one, people said, no, that individual isn't poor. And, And the reality is... By that standard, having a a decent place to live in, having sufficient nutritious food for your family, about four out of five poor people are simply not poor in any sense. And then they then you got to throw the the plasma TV and the computers and all of that on top of that. Um, The reality is that most people in the United States, when they hear the word poverty, are not thinking about relative poverty. They're thinking about the images that they see on TV, which are conventionally uh, homeless families, people living in an overcrowded trailer with the roof leaking, they're always images of rather significant deprivation. And trust me, now I realize that there are families like that in the United States, um, but the average poor family and the bulk of people that are, are identified as poor don't live anything like that. And then might might reasonably say, well, how come census is saying that we have 46 million poor people? And the answer is in the way that they count poverty. Census says that a family is poor if it has a cash income over the course of one year uh, below $22,000 a year. However, and here's the catch, when they count income, the entire safety net is excluded. All welfare in the United States is excluded. Food stamps, earned income tax credit, Medicaid, public housing, none of those things are counted. What does that mean? Well, last year, the taxpayers spent $900 billion, close to a trillion dollars, on cash, food, housing, medical care for anti-poverty programs for poor and low-income Americans. When you divide that out, that comes to around $9,000 for each low-income American, none of which is counted by census when they calculate this poverty level. The missing money, talking about international comparisons, the missing money alone is greater than the gross national product of virtually every nation in the globe. 
So again, it really comes down to an issue of, of at what level do we consider or define poverty and, 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 and what yardstick we're using against it. Indeed. For, and basically, as I said, you know, look, the typical poor family has air conditioning, cable TV, has a computer in the house. If they've got kids, they've got an Xbox. They have a car. Here's a nice international comparison for you. The average poor American, now half of poor Americans live in standalone single-family homes. Forty percent of them are in apartments. Only ten percent of them are in, in mobile trailers. But the average dwelling of a poor American is about 40 to 50 percent larger than the average house or apartment in England. Not of poor English people, but of every English person. It's about 50 percent larger than the average dwelling in France, in Germany, in Sweden, in Italy. Okay. Of course, more more space doesn't necessarily mean more opulence, though. It doesn't, but it, it it's a good, uh, and it, that wouldn't be true in every indicator by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a very good indication that that uh, the poor in the United States are very well housed. I mean, extremely well housed by international standards. Most of these houses and apartments in the U.S. are in good condition. Not all of them, but most of them are. When you have these comparisons about, oh, well, the United States has more poverty than other nations, this, again, is relative. This income standard that is used to judge poverty in the United States is higher than all the other nations. Okay? So this is like having a hurdle race out in a track and field meet where the other nations are jumping three-foot hurdles, and the United States is jumping four-foot hurdles. And at the end of the race, the United States comes in a little bit behind, and people say, aha, see, the United States is a poorer hurdler, right? No. <laughs> the judgment, the, 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 the test that you put the United States up against was, ha- was higher than the test that other nations have. Plus, that's compounded by the fact that in the United States, in the United States alone, we don't we have all of this money in our system to assist poor people, but we don't count that in our statistics for either poverty or for inequality. Robert Rector, Senior Research Fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Robert, appreciate you taking some time to kind of bust out the numbers for us and give us a bit more uh, deeper understanding as to exactly how we define folks in America based on uh, the poverty line on Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today on Church of the Week, a conversation with the lead pastor of Hillside Church of San Jose, Dr. Keith Crosby. Dr. Crosby holds his B.A. in political science and earned his MDiv and doctorate in ministry degrees from the Master's Seminary. He served in the outreach department at Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, also as an English pastor at a Mandarin Baptist Church of San Fernando Valley, and as senior pastor at Bethel Baptist Church before coming to Hillside in 2016. Dr. Crosby and his wife, Terry, have two daughters, Grace and Anna. And we understand there are no ties to the famous crooner, but it's rumored that he does occasionally sing in the shower. And Pastor Crosby, a delight to have you join us. 
great to be here, and the rumors are true, but I don't know that I want to go beyond that. Thanks. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if if you come out with your first album, you sure be sure to let us know, and we'll we'll give it some airplay here. <laughs> Will do. Well, a delight to get a chance to spend some time with you and um, and get an opportunity to talk not only about what God is doing at Hillside Church of San Jose, but also your heartbeat for the church here in the Bay Area. And of course, we we come at this very interesting juncture in history. In fact, your tenure at Hillside Church is an interesting time in in history. You're right there in the very heart of the Silicon Valley. I know that you've shared with me privately in the past your burden for reaching people that are deep into technology and see that as the future, to also talk to them about this timeless God of the ages. And with that in mind, give, give me your sense as you kind of look back on your, your five years now in San Jose. What is God doing? You know, God is doing what he's always done. He's calling sinners to repentance, to forgiveness. He, you know, he stands ready, willing, and able to forgive anybody for anything if they'll accept his free gift of grace and salvation. And what we're trying to do here is to introduce people to that message. Our, our goal for the last five years is to change this community and this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And we do that by being an authentic Christian and in our authenticity and humility trying to bring people to Christ and then build them up in the faith as they embrace Christ. We were sharing a bit before we came on the air today about the notion that uh, the current state of what's going on in the country, in the world, really, in relationship to the impact of COVID, the tragic loss of life, the number of people that have suffered at so many levels because of this terrible pandemic, and how that in many respects it tends to bring out both the best and the worst in people. Do you think that's also true in terms of the church, that sometimes there are periods of trial or great persecution that will either bring out the best in the church, meaning boldly moving forward and continuing without fear to preach the gospel, versus the the worst of the church, meaning kind of running for cover, hiding out in the catacombs and hoping nobody sees you? I think that's true, Craig. You know, I, I think it was uh, Charles Dickens in uh, Tale of Two Cities who said it's the best of times and the worst of times. And I think that's what we're living in right now. I think we're living in an era, particularly in this country, where uh, this is the most probably one of the most difficult times for the church in America. Uh, from the governor's mansion here in California to the White House, we have uh, administrations who, shall we say, are not Christian or church-friendly necessarily. And I think we have a culture that is post-Christian. Uh, they tend to label us as intolerant or bigots or things like that. And sometimes Christian people play into that stereotype. And I think pastors and churches and congregations do face a fork in the road. They can try to cut a deal with the culture. They can compromise their message. Uh, they can bury their head in the sand and hope their problems go away. Or, as I said earlier, we can play offense for the kingdom of God. And I think that God always calls his people to be faithful. And the Christian faith is a faith where we put our trust in a suffering Savior who also causes us to suffer. And so I think... For a church to thrive and survive, as many churches are doing in this area, you cannot compromise with the culture. You just have to you know, sort of uh, take your licks, as it were, in the community and just try to present Christ 
as faithfully and with as much conviction and uh, compassion as you can. But there is no room for compromise. And perhaps moments of, of stress and challenge, it might be easier for somebody to say, well, look, that road ahead, that's wide. We can kind of get a sense of where that's headed. Let's take that nice wide path not recognizing that without failure, that inevitably leads right off the cliff. Taking that narrow road, that narrow path, not as fun, lots of twists and turns, very challenging at times, but in the end, the most productive, both in terms of the quality of the kind of Christian life that we live out, the sort of impact that we have in the lives around us, and the nature and totality of our relationship with Christ himself. And I... And I and I suppose the big, the big dividing line between the two, kind of that sense of separation of chi- the wheat from the chaff, yep. must largely be those who have, are learned, who have studied to show themselves approved, who who've drove into the Word of God, learned it and applied it, versus those that kind of look at the Bible maybe as either a suggestion book or something at least nice to press flowers in on the coffee table. Well, that's it. You know, it, it, and it really does come down to uh, how you look at the Bible is how you look at God. If the Bible is just another book of wisdom, then this God that we serve is just one God and a pantheon of gods. And that's why one of the things we try to emphasize here at Hillside is we can either blend in with the culture, which makes us entirely irrelevant, just another social club, or we can stand out for Christ. And we can stand out in ways that are positive, where people look at us, our willingness to suffer for what we believe, our willingness to love the unlovable, and our willingness to share the gospel, whatever the cost, personally, professionally, or otherwise. And by God's grace, uh, they see something different in us. And we may, in some cases, get a fair hearing from someone. Uh, we know that many are called and few are chosen, as Jesus talks about. And we know that, as he talked about in the Sermon on the Mountain, you just referred to it, that wide is the way that leads to destruction. And that's a well-populated and well-traveled road. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And we want to take the narrow road. Uh, that might be the road less traveled, but it's the road that God has called us to tread upon and to try to take as many people with us, humanly speaking. In that process, uh, oftentimes the church will get accused of uh, of being kind of a downer. We're, <laughs> we're the party pooper crowd, uh, meaning that we have a longer list of don'ts than we do a list of do's. I've even heard it articulated that people get a very clear understanding of what it is the church is against, but are really not clear on what the church stands for. And I would wonder in the process of being about the master's business in that that salt and light that is so desperately needed in this world today, if there are things that the church can and should be doing to do a better job at proclaiming truth, at at turning on that light to dispel the darkness. You know, you make a very good point, Craig. I think what's happened in many cases, many of the churches, uh, many of the uh, accusations against the church ring true. Because in some sense, uh, many times Christians lose perspective and they look for worldly solutions to spiritual problems. I'm, I'm just struck today that so many people have turned to politics for, and they're looking for a political savior. They're looking for someone to come in and fix everything that's broken. And in reality, uh, we're falling into, in many cases, not always, but many churches fall into the same trap 
And many Christians who make up these churches fall into the same trap that the Jewish people fell into when Jesus came. They were looking for a political messiah, a military leader, uh, and they missed the true messiah. And sometimes, sometimes Christians are seeking political and social solutions to theological, spiritual, and moral problems. And when we do that, we do look like a bunch of legalists. And it's interesting because oftentimes, and we've heard this said, certainly post uh, this COVID environment, oh, if things would just return back to normal. But really, what does that normal look like? And, and what it is, uh, are, are we seeking? Are we seeking a sense of, of comfort and security in the here and now? And doing so in exchange for eternal security, meaning a relationship with Christ? Our conversation today with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. We'll take a brief time out, return to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby, our special guest today. He, of course, is lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. Pastor Crosby, I want to pick up where we left off just before the break. And I, I think you're, you're right on the money that oftentimes it's easy to look for a quick fix, an easy solution. And, and sadly, as we look at societal problems today, we've got racial challenges and tensions in many communities across the United States, economic depression, a lot of the fallout of COVID has hurt a lot of families, not only in terms of health, but also economically. We look at the political turmoil and rust on Washington, D.C., almost coast to coast these days, and, and seek some kind of a solution to all of this. And, and maybe the failure is, and I'd like you to elaborate on this, maybe the failure is that we're looking for political solutions to what are, at the core, uniquely spiritual problems, problems of the heart. That's exactly it. You know, we have become short-sighted. And I think part of the problem is uh, that in many cases, people have their favorite Bible passages and their favorite Bible stories, but they really haven't read their Bibles as thoughtfully and carefully as they should. And I think some of the responsibility for that falls on the failure of pastors who who don't who don't teach the Bible as uh, carefully and maybe faithfully as they should. I mean, nobody's perfect. We all have our blind spots. But when we look at the world around us, the reason many Christians and churches are applying worldly solutions to spiritual problems or they're applying uh, uh, political solutions to spiritual, moral and, uh, problems is that they don't understand the book. We know how the book ends. Things are only going to be fixed, as it were, when Jesus returns, and they don't have a biblical perspective on history. History, from a biblical standpoint, is a downward trend towards the end times, you know, the, you know, the, and so whatever your eschatology is to the return of Christ, and things aren't going to get better. Paul talks to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, and Titus as well, but to Timothy about th- people will go from bad to worse. Uh, that statue that terrified Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel explained shows a decay in civilization from the gold to the silver, you know, to the bronze, to the to the iron. Things are going to go from bad to worse, and for Christians to try to prevent that is. Uh, folly because they end up resisting God. And what they need to understand is this world is a great Titanic and it's sinking. 
And rather than rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic, we need to be getting people into the lifeboats of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will spend an eternity in heaven no matter how their lives end in this world. Is there a sense in your mind, uh, I'm going to use your analogy of the Titanic, you know, the, the old joke about rearranging the deck chairs as the Titanic is sinking, and that image of the, the orchestra playing as people are going to their uh, watery graves. And, and I wonder if maybe there's culpability on both sides. And by that, I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, it's a fault of the preacher in the pulpit who is not boldly proclaiming God's word, who, you know, will mention a scripture or two and then head off into platitudes that just stroke people's egos and make them feel better, almost sort of a, a success motivation uh, workshop confined to, you know, 35 minutes on Sunday morning, along with, I wonder, the people in the pews that maybe seek after that, as scripture says, those with itching ears uh, seeking someone who will tickle that ear. And so I'm wondering if part of this titanic experience that we're kind of, you know, it, plunging into is has layers of culpability both from the pulpit and in the pews as well i think that's a fair observation craig you know i I think there is a dual culpability craig i think that you know pastor and people need to have a love of god's word and the love of the god of that word and i think if that's not there the church won't be healthy the church won't be functional and together they need to love God and his word so much that they can do what that word says and reach out to a lost and hurting world, uh, counting the cost, you know, denying themselves daily, taking up their cross and following Christ. And if Christ is at the center of this, then there won't be that tendency to compromise or to tickle ears or to want to be liked by everybody. They just want to be found faithful by Christ. You mentioned before we came on the air today that you've been um, preparing some sermon notes for study in the book of Revelation, a fascinating place to be. Um, I I would imagine as as John was there on the island, there must have been moments that he was shaking in his boots uh, as he was taking this dictation down. But I I have to wonder, you know, we're, we're reminded in the book of Revelation that a time would come that men's hearts would fail within them for fear. Mm-hmm. And certainly fear seems to characterize the moment that we're living in right now, whether it's fear of rumors of wars in diverse places and earthquakes and volcanoes shooting off and you know, rioting in the streets, political unrest, and certainly the impact of this global pandemic that's claimed just in the United States alone, almost three quarters of a million Americans in less than a year and a half, two years. And I have to wonder, is this a time for us to be fearful or from the church's perspective, from God's perspective, are we living in absolutely incredible, exciting times of unparalleled opportunity? Because in many respects, those are at both far ends of the continuum. I think what you just said, we are living in unparalleled times of incredible opportunity. One of the things about the book of Revelation and is this, it's the happiest book in the Bible. Jesus wins. He's going to wipe away every tear. And God has written this, this letter to us. That, you know, Revelation is an epistle. And he's written this to us to inform us of what's going to happen. 
so that we're not in the dark, so that we can, as it were, seize the day. In fact, the thesis statement for the book of Revelation is Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads this book aloud, and blessed is the one who hears and keeps the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. And Revelation is all about living with purpose and urgency as history, redemptive history, comes to a close. And so it's a happy book. It's an encouraging book. And it's not nearly as mysterious as people make it out to be. And so I think this is a great time to live as a Christian because we have unparalleled opportunities in our communities and globally, even through technology, you know, as bad as some of the stuff is online, we have the ability to reach people we've never reached before. And the world has come to San Jose. This is a mission field. You have people here coming from closed countries that we can reach with the gospel right now. And that was one of the things, as I recall, uh, that, that you had mentioned to me um, previously that attracted you to come to the Silicon Valley and to pastor a church in San Jose, that it literally is ground zero for technology. And when you look at the mission field, my, my, uh, you know, there are those in the field of ministry that have to get a passport, learn another language, get into an airplane, fly a half a world away to find the quote unquote mission field and yet here and in san jose in particular all you need to do is open the front door and there it lies before you that's right uh, that you know in revelation it describes heavenly worship in revelation chapter four and it talks about people from every tr- tongue tribe and nation and that's what you have here in san jose 40% of the people who live in my neighborhood are from some other country. And you have an opportunity day in and day out to reach and to meet people, to form relationships with, and to tell them about Jesus who might never hear the gospel. And we are, you're right, we are at ground zero. And these people are influencers, and they can reach other people that we can't reach. And like I said, we were, we were raised up for such a time as this here in San Jose as Christians. And is it a time then, as I think you're alluding to, Dr. Crosby, that the the church really needs to return to both its first love as well as return to some of the fundamentals. And I say that because I think oftentimes there's a sense that after we've been in Christ for a while, we become a little bit jaded. Perhaps it just becomes kind of, you know, done by rote. We get up and go to church on Sunday morning because that's what we've always done. And we read the scripture in the morning for 10 minutes because that's what we've always done. We really are not thoughtful or purposeful in saying, you know, what is my goal? What is my mission here? And as I'm reading God's word, for example, not just to read it and say, okay, I did my 10 minutes, I've done my good Christian duty for the day, but instead to ask ourselves, what is the word saying to me? How do I apply that word to me? How do I live out that word so that others that see me say, there's something different about that guy? And and I'm not saying that we should not boldly be about the business of evangelism, but we also recognize in a place like Silicon Valley that the the lifestyle evangelism the the life that we present to others is often as loud a witness for the cause of Christ as the guy who stands in a street corner with a big sign saying you know repenter or or burn well you're 100% right craig you know evangelism rings hollow without witness you know jesus uh, says in acts 1:8 you will be my witnesses from 
Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the whole world. And the witnesses are those who are authentic Christians. One of the, you know, we talk, the credo of this church is we're here to change the world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And we preach the word, I'll preach expositorily. But then we say, how do we do that? Be one, bring one, build one. Be the real deal. Be the authentic Christian, not the Sunday Christian, not the weekend warrior. I don't want to be uncharitable, but be a real Christian. And, you know, Christ calls us to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. That means sacrifice. It means commitment. And when when you read the Bible, you know, David says in the Psalms, you know, his opening prayer is uh, one of the Psalms is, Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. That's the way we need to approach the Bible so that it changes us and the people see the change. They see people like themselves who struggle with sin, who struggle with all kinds of things, but who are struggling as as, we're not saved by works, but saving faith brings works. You know, faith without works is dead. And people can see that in us. They see our imperfection, but they see our sincerity and our struggle to live for the Savior. And I think that makes a huge difference, and it gives us credibility when we speak to them about the gospel. You have just zeroed in on something, and I want to circle back to this, because this is so powerful, and I think can be so enormously encouraging to everyone eavesdropping on our conversation right now. Our conversation today with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. We'll take a brief time out, return to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby, our special guest today. He, of course, is lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. Pastor Crosby, I want to pick up where we left off just before the break. We're called to be his witnesses. Now, think about that in the context of, say, uh, an automobile accident or a fire. There are people that happen to be passing by or in that area at the time of the event. They saw with their own eyes what happened. They will be the most credible report back to the police department, the fire department. Oh, yes, I heard a hissing sound. Then the explosion came. All of that information is then goes into that report to ascertain what happened. We're called to be witnesses. That suggests that we've seen this Jesus. We've seen him in our life experience. We've seen him through the word. We've seen him work in our lives as we study his word and apply that to our lives. We've watched God do miracles in us from the miracle of salvation to, you know, taking us through the challenges of life, be it sickness, disease, whatever it might be. We have seen God do that. Now to go and share that. And sometimes Christians will say, well, you know, I don't mind praying. I'm happy to go to church. I'll support the church. But that witnessing stuff, I can't handle that. That's just too much. You know, it it feels like having to be, you know, uh, knocking on doors. And I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. But if what God is really saying is to be my witness is to give an account for what he has done in your own life, then you're just simply a storyteller of your own life experience with God. Well, who can't do that? It's no different than saying, I was standing here and I saw the car run through the red light and I heard the crashing sound. You give a report of what you have seen. And then that report then 
drives the conclusion. And I think that maybe the change that we need to have in the approach that many believers do to this matter of sharing the gospel and impacting their sphere of influence, the people they come in contact with every day, is to acknowledge and understand that being a witness is nothing more than to share what you have seen, what you have experienced with very God himself. Now, where, of course, this this begins to fall short is if you haven't been in God's word, if you haven't been walking closely with the Lord, then maybe the challenge of being a witness is that you've not had much to share because you've not experienced much with the God of the universe. Do you think that's true? I, I do. I think, I think, I think, like you said, it's a both-and proposition. You're in the Word of God. You're, you know, it's kind of a feel-felt-found. I used to feel the same way you did. I felt that way before. But as I studied God's Word, I found more and more purpose, more and more understanding of why things are the way things are. And, and you know, the early disciples, you know, did more with less. They didn't have the closed canon of Scripture, the 66 right. books of the Bible, and they just taught what they knew. And I tell people, even at church, you know, you've heard the message today. You know, what does the text? What does the text say? What does the text mean? What do I do? And who have I told? And that's really what it's all about, you know. Uh, and we say, you know, yeah, I remember when I lost my mother, or I lost this person, but you know, I knew that they had heard the gospel, they had embraced the gospel, and they're going to spend an eternity in heaven, or because that's what the Bible says, or. I shared the gospel with them, and I've left them in the hands of a God who does all things well. And whether or not they believed or not is not up to me. That's up to them. That's between them and God. You know, that's it. An informed Christianity that helps us make informed decisions and, their, and, to, and to know what to say to people. And to, and to ask God, you know, in every moment. Like Nehemiah, he did all these silent prayers when he was interacting with the Hazarus. You know, this is what we have to do. That's why I say, and it sounds trite, abide in Christ, keep his word, read his word, and let him do the heavy lifting. Absolutely. And and never be fearful to think that, well, if you talk about your faith, that you're going to get into some deep theological debate, and you don't feel, you feel as if you're ill-prepared to be a, a, a sufficient apologist, and therefore you say nothing at all. Just right. share from your experiences. And I love what you said, you know, when the apostles started out, they didn't have many tools or resources at their disposal at all, other than to say, let me tell you what I have witnessed. Yeah. And I don't think it's any different for us either. Yeah, we don't have to have all the answers. And here's the thing, you know, and this is where I talk about playing offense for the kingdom of God, is you're going to meet skeptics who really don't want to listen, and they're just going to pepper you with questions to mire you down or to confuse you. All you say is, look, I don't know, but, you know, we can let, let me look into this, and we'll get back together and talk about it tomorrow. If they really are sincere, they'll say, okay, great, let's do that. And you, you just, you know, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't have to have all the answers to all the questions. You just have to know the truth that sets people free from sin, death, and hell and share that with people. Yeah, I, I've heard it put this way. You don't have to have the answers to all the questions so long as you know where to go to find them. There you go. And that's the wonderful resource that we have available to us through God's Word. And, of course, that's a big part of um, the the ministry of Hillside Church of San Jose, uh, sharing God's Word in a vibrant Christian community there, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And maybe you can spend a couple of minutes, Pastor, talking to us a bit about what God is doing, um, not only through your pulpit ministry, but in the life and ministry of Hillside Church. Well, you know, God is doing amazing things. Uh, 
over the last five years, the church has grown. I think 45% of the people who attend today have been here less than five years. They have a love for God. They have a love for each other. And we've really been kind of outreach focused. We've sent out tons of missionaries from this church over the last 50 years. I don't know in the last, you know, several years, we were as good at local outreach. That's where we're putting our effort right now. We want to make disciples. We want to lead people to Christ. And and so we've done a series of events. We're going to do Fall Fest, October 30th. It's a big outdoor festival. There'll be games and trunk or treat and food trucks and all kinds of activities for the family outdoors. It'll be safe, you know, in terms of the COVID thing and everything else. Another exciting thing is, and thanks to KFAX, you know, you broadcast our, our, our sermons from south of Gilroy to north of San Francisco. Uh, we have a lot of people, because some of the churches have been slow to reopen for whatever reason, who have been attracted to our church. And then the live streaming, of course, that's a whole other feature. So we've had people driving from San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Palo Alto, uh, Milpitas, and things like that. And, and it's hard for them to drive that distance. And so I think God has called us to plant a church, City Light Bible Church in Santa Clara. And that way, nobody has to drive me driving from San Francisco every Sunday. And so we're going to try to plant that church, uh, and it will have its, if you want to call it, grand opening uh, in September of 2022. And so we are looking to uh, not rearrange furniture with inside the kingdom of God, but to plant a church that multiplies uh, disciples, that leads people to Christ, and that expands the reach. And so we're really excited. Our people are excited to to share the gospel. We have people, we have something we call the search party. Thursday nights, they go out to different places, the Communications Hill, the Prune Yard, different places, uh, and they talk to people, ask if they can pray for them, and try to introduce them to Christ. And we're getting people doing that in every age group. It's not just older people, it's younger people. Our church is diverse. It has grown in its diversity over the last five years, and we're just excited to serve Christ in this community. And we can sense His presence and feel His power, and we are just thrilled to be here and raised up for such a time as this. Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that people are willing to drive that far. It just once again goes to prove the theory that hungry people will go in seek of solid food. And I never hear the complaint, you know, this neighborhood's just got too many really good restaurants. Where are all the bad restaurants when you want one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. so the, the notion of another good restaurant opening up, meaning another church, boldly, unabashedly, unashamedly proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching people how to read it, how to apply it, how to live it. Listen, we can we can do with thousands more like that. So kudos to you. That's exciting news. And I think, again, goes back to the heart of, of what we were discussing a moment ago, and that is with everything going on and swirling around us, let's not get distracted by the noise because that's the enemy wanting to do that. Take our eyes off the prize and instead focus on, you know, the, 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 the crisis du jour instead mm -hmm. of being eternally minded and saying, 
what can and should we be doing right now to strengthen the stakes of our tents and to be prepared to reach more for Christ? Because Scripture does also tell us, yes, in the end times, there'll be a great falling away, but also there will be a tremendous harvest. And I think God is queuing us up here for something. Again, I don't want to go as far as to say I've got the inside track and I know the date and the hour, but I think that sense of urgency and the tremendous opportunity that God has given us is one that we do not want to miss. I think you're 100% right, and we're just excited to be part of his redemptive plan. God has given every Christian a little piece of redemptive real estate, and that's what we want to do is to expand his kingdom. You know, and so we're we're excited. We really are. God's doing a lot down there at Hillside Church of San Jose. Again, they meet Sunday mornings in person at 8, 9.30, and 11, with online services available at 9.30 and 11 a.m. as well. Located at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Information available on the web at hillside.org. That's hillside.org. I am struck, too, based Pastor Crosby, on your your geographic location, that as much as you're right in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you're really in the heart of a tremendously diverse place, and the church very much reflects that. It does. It does. You know, we have people. You know, it's, it's you know our community is about uh, a third uh, Hispanic, about a third Asian, Indo Asian, uh, and uh, uh, Sino Asian, and then you know you, you, a third uh, Caucasian and other. In other uh, ethnicities, and our church is beginning to reflect that. Uh, we're thrilled. We have people from all from countries that, you know, from Botswana and Nigeria. We have people from India. We have people from Korea. We have people from all over the place, and we have people from San Jose. But this is a picture of the kingdom of God. You know, it's a, it's it's kind of a sad story, but historically, the the, the eleven o'clock hour, let's call it the hour everybody goes to church, is one of the most segregated uh, hours in America. And yet, when people go to work, they have people of all kinds of nationalities and all colors, and that's the way the church should be, and that's what we're striving to become. And we, I think, we've made progress by God's grace and providence in that, and uh, and that's what that continues to be our mission as well to reach all kinds of people from all kinds of places. Well, and I think that not only is um, uh, something that thrills the heart of God, it 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 is representative of a church that represents what the Bay Area diversity looks like, but most importantly, you alluded to this a moment ago, it also represents the diversity of heaven because I'm a firm believer when we get to the pearly gates, uh, Peter's not going to say, okay, the the Baptist section (laughs) is over here. Presbyterians, you hang out over there. Uh, No, it's going to be come one, come all, and, and our identity, and this is as it should be, our identity should not be wrapped up in the language we speak, in the color of our skin, in the kind of food that we eat, though those are all wonderful things, but ultimately our identity should be in Christ because we are made not in the image of our, like in my case, my relatives in Italy, no, we are made in the image of very God himself. And those are at the core, our roots, and they are to be celebrated. And I think it's it's encouraging and delightful to hear that God is doing that today at Hillside Church. Well, thank you. We're thrilled. We're humbled and we're honored. God is just so good to us. You know, we are an intergenerational church. 
have it's just been a pleasure to serve the people of Hillside. They are just a loving, welcoming people, and they have supported uh, the changes in direction and ministry. And they have really just put themselves out there. I love them, and they have loved me and my family through thick and thin. Well, we appreciate the time today, Pastor. And again, I want to invite folks, maybe you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area in search of a church home. We invite you to check out Hillside Church of San Jose. They meet at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Information available on the web at hillside.org. That's hillside.org. We're always delighted to spend some time with Dr. Keith Crosby. A tremendous blessing, not only to Hillside, but a blessing to all of us here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Pastor, we appreciate your heartbeat for ministry, your passion for the gospel, your dedication to proclaiming God's word, uh, unabashed and, and unedited, as they say. <laughs> and uh, we thank you so much for spending a couple of moments with us here today to get a chance to know a bit about you, your ministry, and uh, what God is doing today at Hillside Church. Well, thank you for having me, Craig. The pleasure was all mine. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.